Welcome to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast, a faith community on Vancouver Island within the Anglican Network in Canada. We invite you to check out our website at ChristchurchOceanside.ca, or if you're on Vancouver Island, join us on a Sunday in the News Bay. Today's message is brought to you by our pastor, Father Ryan Matchett. We hope you enjoy. Bless you. This week's reading is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, beginning in verse 12 to 14. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, welcome back to Christ Church Oceanside. This is Pastor Ryan here. And I'm excited to keep moving forward here in our studies of the Golden Rule. Last week, we looked at what is your rule? Like, what guides your life? What sets your compass? And this week, we're going to actually start to pull apart Jesus' teaching here on the Golden Rule. Now, this text is going to do a few great things for us. Firstly, it's going to create clarity around what the scriptures say. Second, it's going to cut through the mists of moral confusion and reunifies us with ourselves by reuniting us with our God-given consciences. So, I think what it does is it restores our connection to our gut, what we know to be true what we know to be right and good. And for a lot of us who get stuck in our head or even stuck in our emotions, we got to get back to that place of our gut that we know what we know what we know. The next thing it does is that Jesus is going to enable us to finally do the good in relationships that we really long for. Nobody wants to have bad relationships. Nobody wants to have complications and hurt and harm. We want good in the midst of our relationships. And this teaching from Jesus is going to do that. So the results of embracing the golden rule, making it our own, the results is that Jesus will lead us into a place that our lives are grounded in the way. That we have a clear sense of our convictions, 
and that we're able to bravely and generously show up fully in relationships. And I think what it does is it it just kind of wipes out that enduring feeling that we all tend to feel that I don't know who I am in this relationship or in this situation and I don't know how to respond to it and I don't know how to navigate this. I think that frustrating feeling is what the golden rule brings peace to. So I think the first question that we want to ask today, I think we many of us are asking, even subconsciously, is how do we know what good is? Right? And finding that compass that guides us through every kind of different situation, we're really trying to answer that question. How do we know what good is? What does good look like in this situation? What would, it, what would good look like when dealing with this problem? And as humans, I think we can't help but ask, what is the good way to live? Because we're sick of things sucking. <laughs> we're sick of trial and error. We're sick of repeating destructive patterns. We don't want to keep doing what we've been doing. We want pure goodness. But it leads to another question. Who gets to say empirically what is right and what is wrong? What is good and what is bad? And I think this is a, an ongoing human problem throughout human history. And this is where religion really comes into play, is that we're trying to, religion seeks to answer the big questions. Who is God and why are we here? And what is good and what is evil and what's salvation? And so for, me, for much of human history, we have polytheism, this idea of many different gods and different ways and different ways of living and different traditions to follow. But then there's the, you know, the, the establishment of monotheism, where God makes himself known clearly to Abraham and makes covenant with him. But in our day, we find ourselves in a time a pluralism. Polytheism is saying there's all these different ways, many gods. Monotheism is saying there's one God. And pluralism is trying to pull all those things together. And what it often describes itself as is that religion or spirituality is a mountain. And each different religion or spiritual practice or whatever is a different path that leads up the mountain. There's all these different paths from all these different sides, and they all lead to the top, and it's the same God. But the reality is that's not actually pluralistic, because what it does is it's a very specific definition of God. It's saying that actually God is all of these things, and so you need to ascribe to pluralism, which is the true way. But I think what we all know is not all roads lead to goodness. And not all roads lead to God. And when you're in charge of making the road or determining the road, here's what we really know. The road tends to lead back to you. I can't save myself from me. I can't design a path or a road to follow that's going to save me from me because I'm in charge of the path and the road to follow. 
It's just more of the same problem. But then you have you know, religious debates, and they tend to generate even more confusion than clarity because we argue semantics and we our opinions are subjective. And so we end up finding ourselves going, well, who should, how should we interpret these scriptures? How should we interpret what is good? And what does God really expect? And how does this text of scripture, what if it actually means this? And, or what if it actually means this? And who really knows? That's a really frustrating conversation for somebody who's trying to find a way to survive. And what tends to happen is that if there's, if we could create enough mess of that discussion and fill the air with confusion and possibilities, eventually everyone walks away from the discussion altogether and just shrugs and says, who really knows? That's a serious place of discouragement, of just going, all this work and energy to try and find the good way has actually just led to more confusion. Jesus breaks into this conversation and into this confusion with an emphatic, authoritative teaching which clears the haze. Jesus is God interpreting Scripture, and the Scripture is speaking truth. So we can't say, who knows what God thinks, because Jesus is here. Because Jesus has broken into human history and saying, God is present. God is speaking. And his character, his authority, his power all backs it up. And so the clarity that Jesus brings is this. As God enfleshed in the human struggle with us, Against sin and evil, he cuts through the confusion by speaking truth. Now, Jesus isn't saying, it hasn't been clear until me. Jesus is actually saying, God's law has always been clear. The good way has always been obvious. And the heart of the matter has always been this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's him giving us clarity and it's the first grace of many to enable us to live in the good way. It cuts through the confusion because it just says, don't be silly about all these semantics. Because we all know, do the good to others you know in your heart. Do the good to others you know you desire. Do not do harm to others. Do not do the harm that was done to you, the harm which you hated. Look, you know when you were harmed. You know what hurts. You know what's wrong when it's done to you. In the same way, we know the good that we think others should do towards us. We can tell when something hurts. We can tell. We know what we expect goodness to look like towards us. And Jesus is saying the law and the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures, are not as complicated as we pretend they are. Of course, there are elements of nuance and cultural understanding and suitable applications, and linguistic considerations. Yeah, those are all there, and they can be helpful and they can be, they can be harmful. But at its heart, through a plain reading, we know we were made for goodness and not for harm.
because we know this, this is why Jesus begins with this phrase. Whatever you wish. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. But hear that. Whatever you wish. What a phrase. Again, Jesus is forcing us to look within. To cultivate a greater self-awareness and presentness with the reality of our own hearts. When it comes to how we treat others, we're meant to ask the question, what do I dream for? What's the highest good that I can wish for? So if we could then tap into our deepest longings, allowing ourselves to be honest about our desires for how we wish to be loved, how would we describe it? What would it look like? Do you want intimacy? Do you want respect? Do you want value? Do you want freedom? Do you want resources? Do you want forgiveness? Do you want room to grow or do you want fun? Do you want fairness? Do you want justice? Do you want mercy? Do you want survival or flourishing? Do you want mutuality? Do you want to be dominated or controlled? Or do you want to be understood? Jesus is asking, what do you wish? Be honest with yourself. What do you expect? What do you define goodness as? What are you hoping for? And the reason Jesus is doing that not, is not because our wishes and our desires are somehow perfect. But within there, deep down inside, there's a connection between us and the divine. He's trying to say, at your deepest core, you know. You know what's good. And so what do you wish? What do you desire? What do you long for? Because that is actually the standard to live by. And what that does is it solves the double standard problem. Jesus cuts right through our tendency to have two sets of standards, one for ourselves and one for others. What Jesus does is meld them into one. The highest standard we hold for how we believe others should treat us is the standard we should use to determine how we should treat others. So every time then we choose to harm, to steal, to hate and reject others, we first have to betray our divinely inspired desires for goodness. And in doing so, we move away from what we truly wish and build a world full of what we know we hate, what we know to be evil. Let me say that again. When we choose to have two different standards, the one of love that we know that we expect, that we truly believe we deserve, that we want to have, when we turn from that standard of love and of goodness, and choose to treat people by a different standard. 
When we do that, we are building the world we hate and rejecting the world that we long for, the one that we know we were made for. By asking this question, too, what Jesus does is tests our wishes. He tests our desires because it makes us go, do I really think this is possible? If I'm going to apply this to how I treat somebody else, do I actually know that this is good? Do I know that this is worth pursuing? Because if I'm not willing to do it for others, then maybe... It's not a wish or a legitimate desire that I should continue expecting others to do for me. Let's think of a few examples. When you're buying a car, do you want them to try and get every penny out of you? To sell you on something that's not worth it? Of course not. But here's the other question. Then why do we expect to sell a car for more than it's worth? Why do we want to walk away with more than we spent? This is what I mean, is we live in this double standard of going, when I buy a car, I want the best deal. I want to be able to say, I paid less than what it's worth. But when I sell a car, I want to be able to say, I sold it for more than it's worth. What? Is that the good way of living? Is that good for me? And is that good for society? And I'll be honest with you, my experience is I get the bad end of both deals. (laughs) Now, I've decided instead of viewing that as I'm somehow a victim of the evil of this world, I've actually spun it to say, I believe this is the good way. When I buy a car, I get the opportunity to pay a little bit more because that's helping someone. And when I sell a car, I sell it for less than what it's worth because That's helping someone. Because that's the truth. That's actually what I want. Is I, instead of just wanting the best deal for me on either side of it, what I want is the way of Jesus. I want it to feel good. I want it to feel generous. I want to feel like I'm not living this life to consume things in other people. Instead, I want to be a benefit. This seems to be the way of Jesus. This seems to be who he is. But the same can be true of all these other areas of our life. When it comes to sex or relational intimacy, how would you feel about being pressured, guilted, or manipulated by someone into that intimacy? Do you want that? No, you don't want to feel that way. In the same way, we also don't want to feel ignored or overlooked or rejected if we were to lovingly offer ourselves to someone. This helps us discern what's my, not like my desire, and my desire is pointing to something within me that goes, I believe this is God's vision, God's ideal. And so it makes us approach situations and relationships predominantly, What this is what Jesus is saying, is that this should form the way we approach our relationships. That it makes us go, what do I believe is the truest good? And how can I want that for the other person? What is happening when we start to ask these questions of going, what do I truly desire? 
that is actually opening an opportunity to go, this is my conscience. It's not only my desire. The other side of it is, this is my conscience. That there's an intrinsic connection between desire and our conscience. Because our desire is, is a testimony saying, I believe that the world was meant to be good in God. That I believe love was meant to be the highest standard. And that forms my conscience because it's saying, and I believe it is my place and my role, and, and I most myself when I'm living up to that standard. When I'm choosing that goodness, when I'm devoting myself to that love. And here's, I think, the piece that we've missed in our society. What we didn't realize is when we got rid of our conscience, when we rejected it and put it away and, and said, you, everyone could do whatever they want, what we didn't realize we were doing is actually rejecting God's vision for goodness and our, that resonating truth within us that goes, that's, I actually want the ideal. I actually want what's good. I actually desire love. When we rejected conscience, we rejected desire. Because now everything's twisted. Now I can manipulate to get my desires, or I can force to get my desires, or I can steal to get my desires, but that's not truly my desire. I don't want to steal to have. I don't want to manipulate to be loved. I don't want to strive to succeed. None of those are really my desires. It's a counterfeit. And those are the things that are so massively unsatisfying and disappointing to go, I sold my soul here to get a hold of this, and this does not come close to the truth of what I long for. I want real love. I want real life. I want real relationships. I want real success. I want real value. Not this horrid counterfeit. So I think the golden rule, Jesus is using it to negotiate a reconciliation. A reconciliation between our desires, our ideals, and our conscience. The way we want to live. Because our conscience is essentially saying to us, do we really want this? Do we really want the counterfeit or do we want the real thing? Your conscience is saying to you, let's go for gold. Let's go for beauty. Let's go for love. Let's say no to this counterfeit garbage and go for something beautiful. So it's a combination here by hearing the teachings of Jesus when he says, whatever you wish. You've got to let yourself hear again. What? do I wish? What do I long for? And to let yourself also hear your conscience. What are my convictions? What do I believe? What do I hold to? 
to hear it, both the desires and the conscience, and embrace them. I actually think what we need is to repent both to our Creator who made us for this ideal, but also to repent to our own souls, our consciences, because they've been fractured. We've cut out the ideal. We've cut out our conscience and thought we could just fill our bellies, just get off on pleasure. Jesus is seeking to reconcile all those pieces back by God coming and saying, this isn't the vision. This isn't what we're living for. This isn't what I made you for. You're made for more and for better and for truth. You're made for gold. So to hear your desires coming from the voice of Jesus to go, this is truly love. And to hear your conscience coming, affirmed by the voice of Jesus saying, this is what's wrong, and we say no to it. Because conscience is saying, whatever is not the ideal, we want to reject. We're purists for goodness. And we embrace those voices again, and we bring them together into one voice, the voice of our Creator, working within us reconciled in Christ, reintegrated into our being. So my friends, you, as a follower of Jesus, are being called to give yourself to Jesus and his ideal, the golden rule of love, and to give yourself again to your conscience to say, we will discern, we will test things, and if they are not truly good, we will reject them. And so we're receiving the rule and the conscience united within us, and we're made more whole again in this. And I have to ask you the question, when did you split yourself in two? When did you reject your conscience? When did you fall to the counterfeits of desire instead of the true ideal? And how can you go back there with Jesus to that moment, to those decisions, to that breaking and that splitting, and allow him upon your repentance to forgive you, to undo the damage, and to make you whole again, saving you from the counterfeit desires and lifting up something, a beautiful ideal, and salvaging your conscience to say, you do know what is right and good. You can tell the difference. Your gut is speaking to you. And uniting your heart, your mind, your gut, all again in Jesus to be who you were made to be. To know what is good and to know what is wrong. And to choose to follow Jesus in his golden way, his good way. No longer divided, no longer separated, but made whole again. 
This is the first step in the golden rule. Whatever you wish. What do you desire? What were you made for? And the realization that you do know the difference. We all know the difference. And it's time to give our consciences a voice again. For our consciences to do the work of saying, no more death, no more darkness, no more facades, no more thin desires. We want the good way, the real way, the way of love, the way of truth, the way of beauty, the way of fulfillment, and the way of satisfaction. This is where good relationships start. I pray that Christ and his spirit, even now, will be reconciling the parts of you back together. Raising up the ideal that you know within, the ability to tell the authentic from the fake, and that you would be made whole with the person who will Thank you.